begin with verses uh, 25 to 29 to see the depravity and the sinfulness of mankind. And what this is going to do is it's going to expose part of what happens uh, when we do not seek the wisdom of God or live by, live by wisdom. So let's look, look at verses 25 to 29 in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. That's a shackle. That's what that means. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a, a woman among all these I've not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they sought out many schemes. All right, so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about some of the depravity uh, that, that takes place in this world. Um, uh, Solomon, the preacher, the teacher, the philosophy professor, uses the example of a woman who brings a man to moral failure. All right, this is very real. Um, he speaks of this uh, several times in Proverbs of the immoral woman. Uh, speaking of that, as he's, as he's teaching primarily, uh, sitting down with his sons, uh, he speaks to his sons, and so he's saying, beware of the immoral woman. He could say the very same thing uh, in, in, uh, as he's talking to a daughter or talking to women, beware the immoral man as well. Uh, and and it's, it's huge. Uh, sometimes we become that immoral man or become that immoral woman, and, and we're the one that's the wolf that needs to be put down. We're the ones that, that, need, that need help and rescue from, even from, our, from ourselves. Um, very real, very real in, in our lives. But this could have been any example of how we as broken people, we spread our communicable disease of rebellion to others. That's what happens. That, that we, we're in a pit and we only feel good enough when people are down in, in the pit with us. I mean, it starts from childhood. You know, that, that we just, we're like, well, you know, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take some candy from the store if you you take some, you know. So, I mean, it's just, we're made. I mean, God said it's not good for man to be alone, you know. There's something about community, and unfortunately, we'll twist that even to say, well, you know, all right, if I'm going to, if I'm going to take a risk, if I'm going to do something bad, I want somebody else by me to where, uh, at least if, if we get caught, you know, we'll be together. Or it's kind of the old story, like uh, the bear where, uh, you know, the, the, there was a bear rushing it at uh, two campers, and one guy sat down and started putting on his, on his shoes, and the other guy's starting to run and say, why are you putting on, putting on your shoes? You know, he says, because I can outrun you then, because he knew that then the bear would get him. So sometimes maybe it's, it said, well, if we're together, then somebody else can take the heat instead of me. Um, we're just, we're depraved that way. Um, he, he gives us, again, uh, of this lesson of a, a broken people in a broken world, and he points to the original design and how the world was perfect at first, but then it fell. Verse 29, he said, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. And you can look in the book of Genesis to see about uh, this fallen, fallenness that took place. And it's between, uh, you know, uh, chapters 2 and 3, and just how it, was a, it was a huge, a huge change that took place in our world. It couldn't be any more stark in, in contrast. Um, you can look in uh, Romans chapter 1 as it tells a little bit of the story of, of uh, how God, man went his own way 
and uh, seeks out his own, his own pleasure, and, and uh, that God is, is obvious, but, but people turn away. God made man upright, but they sought out many schemes. Guys, we need to know it's important not to blame God. It's not, it's not his fault that the world is broken. It was originally perfect, and it was man who rebelled against God, and the world has been broken ever since. Now, we have a conundrum, then, of, of a powerful God in, in the midst of evil. We're going to spend a lot of time there with the, what the problem of evil is, but, but it's like, okay, well, if God is all-powerful, why, why doesn't He stop all the evil? You know, why is God supposedly silent, or why does He seem to be absent due to the evil of the world? Well, here's the, here's the truth of the matter. God has a solution. Uh, the, the great news and, and really the story of this world is not just creation that was perfect in a fall, and it's not even creation, fall, and redemption through Jesus, through His incarnation that He came and became one of, one of His own creations and lived a perfect life, and He died on a cross and, and rose again on, on the third day. That's redemption, and that's the apex of all of, of all of history, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is there's a completion that's coming. That there's a consummation. There is a, a final tipping point where God's going to say, I'm going to put everything bad, everything sinful, everything wicked, I'm going to put it away. And then I'm going to recreate and we're going to restart everything to where it will never, ever, ever fall again. That's the great story that's coming. And that is God's plan. And He's going to do that. He's going to destroy all the rebels and He's going to start over. He actually will do that. But as as you feel that tension of, well, God, well, why did this happen in this and this that's going on in, in, in certain parts of our nation or city or, or that's, that's going on in Thailand or, or, or horrible uh, human trafficking and sex slavery, I mean, horrible things going on within our world. It's like, well, God, why don't you just fix it? And God's like, I'm going to. It's going to be complete someday. And so it begs the question, why not now? Why doesn't God just come and, and finish it and get rid of all the evil and wickedness? Well, that begs another question. Why didn't he come in 1977, when I was seven years old. Well, I thank God that he didn't because I was just a young little rebel that, uh, that was far from God. And if he'd come then, I would have been lost forever. Why, why didn't he come last year? Well, then if he'd come last year, then my, my good friend J.R. that's in here would have been lost forever. But He's been saved by God, and he's a child, and he's in the kingdom now. Why, why doesn't he come next year? Because we got some friends, and you have some friends that some of them are, are close, but, but they're not there yet. God's doing a work in their life. He's stirring them, and, and they're getting, getting close to the point, and, and maybe even today's the point for some, but, but we get to the point where, where they finally surrender, but they're not there yet. And so ultimately, the answer to the conundrum is God to come and to finish it. To put all wickedness, all evil, all rebellion away and to restart it in a way. But, but it's, it's problematic for us as, as Christians because there's neighbors that, that you have and there's friends that you have, there's family that you have that maybe you have, they've never heard you declare this mystery which is the great news of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm not saying it's on your shoulders whether they get saved or not. But I would challenge you and press you. Have you pointed to Jesus? You don't have to be great. In fact, that's the great thing about it is, is none of us are. We're, we're weak. You're not pointing to yourself as the example or the model. You're pointing to Jesus as being the example and the model. 
So I, though I, I'm going to listen with some of the stuff that's going on, and I know uh, we got some in Sojourn. They're working, working on an event coming up, uh, an awareness event of, of human trafficking uh, that's going to come up in, in, in a matter of months and, and, and to help raise our awareness and, and kind of stir our guts to where we, we can't just sit by idly of, of, of some of the horrific things going on in, in, in our world, much less our own nation and state, city. Um, but though we'd love for it to end, there are many people out there that we need to love enough to say, man, but not yet, God. But not yet. It's the patience of God that keeps him from coming back. It's the mercy of God that keeps him from coming back. There's still so many to save. And that's why we're a church. So go to them. Go and tell them and go point them to Jesus. There's a bit of a of a problem, a conundrum in looking at verse 28. He um, says, uh, one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Is the Bible saying that most men are worthless and all women are worthless? No, it's not. It's not. Um, Solomon was the most powerful man on the planet. And with all the men that surrounded him, the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of men that surrounded him, he's saying he found only one who was a true friend. And that was a wise friend. Only one out of all. Out of all. And, and in the middle of it, he, he spouts out, he says, and out of all the women, I can't find anyone. Now what, what's going on? What, what's going on? What, what's, what's the story within this story? Well, see, Solomon was at the closer to the end of his life than the middle or towards the beginning. He had a total of about a hundred wives, excuse me, a thousand wives and concubines. And this is a tragic commentary on his own life that, that none of these women were true and wise wives, according to him. Now what, what I think that's being spoken of here is this probably, probably means that his first and most cherished wife that he wrote about in the Song of Songs was probably dead. Uh, that, I mean, because you look at the bookends of Solomon's life, and it's like, man, he started out just so well. And, and uh, he, he learned so much, and we learn a lot in, in, in uh, Ecclesiastes, but you just, you see a lot of the mess uh, that took place in his life. And a part of it was what he did with women, and how with many of it was politically challenged. A lot of it was uh, hormonally challenged. That's, that's, what, that's what brought him to to the messes that, that he was in. And, and I believe that he looked and, and, and the one, the one that, that he had um, that none compared. And I, and I believe that even therein is something of a commentary of why God said, man, it's supposed to be one man and one woman for one lifetime. And I'm so grateful for grace and so grateful for mercy. And, and wherever you are in your, in your, in your place in, you know, in life as far as marriage, man, when you, when you, if you're married or if you get married, you know, let that just be, all right, God, one, one man, one woman, one lifetime. I, I, can't, I got lots of stuff in my past, but God, here, you're my future, and you've brought this person for the future. And live, walk it out, march it out in grace. So it's, he, he's, he's revealing just a... A lot, of the, a lot of the mess of when we're, when we're unwise and just even a portion of what that means. Now let's go to the, go to the beginning of, of the chapter, verse 1. A good name 
is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And I also want to bring, bring you also to verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So listen, our, our natural tendency is, is to turn away from our pain. It's to turn away from our own brokenness or to turn away from the pain that others, that others have. Why? Because it's, it's painful. <laughs> um, I, the, what we, what we want to do is, is we want to put a Band-Aid over it and just get better as soon as we can. Uh, or many times it's just maybe if I ignore it, if I just pretend that it doesn't exist, or maybe we as a, as a couple or, or as good friends, we just never talk about it. It's like, all right, we, just, we don't mess with that. That's kind of skeletons in the closet and just keep it locked away. We, we just want to escape it. We want to deny it. We want to numb it. And, and, and see, all this is said from a, a wealthy man. I mean, the wealthiest type of man. Uh, so a man that it would have been so easy for him to, to just, just party, to just celebrate. And we've talked about before how it's important in life. It's important to, to feast and it's important to fast. It's important that we, we live in both of those spectrums. There's, there's a time to mourn. There is a time to laugh. But he's saying, look, our, our natural proclivity is just to get to a place where where either we go past moderation in, in the way that we celebrate, we get to a place where we're escapists, where we're just trying to numb or trying to ignore what the real pain is. It's so easy to, to not view the real brokenness of our world. And escapism is just, it's, it's not wise. It's not wise. And avoidance is not compassionate. It takes courage, it takes wisdom to be able to actually deal with, deal with things. Uh, and, and it does bring sorrow in our lives. But another, I think, nuance of what's being said here is it's very easy to start something. It's very difficult to finish something. I mean, it, it's, it's part of my life. I mean, um, I mean, I hope that you can imagine that me as a, as a church planter, uh, and then if you know others that are entrepreneurs, people that start things, um, that they, they may be good at it, they may be bad at it, but, but if they've got that kind of a personality, there's definitely a point in their life in which they're really bad at it. Very good at starting things, but very bad at being diligent, uh, building systems, making sure that things run smoothly. And, and it's easy just to go ahead and say, well, all right, I'm, okay, we're just done. Let's just do a little funeral right there, and, and just, well, it's time to start something else. And uh, it's like you can, you can, you can live, live on hype and... If you know people like that, or if you are a person like that, you, hopefully you've come to recognize that if you live by hype, if you live by always leaving what you started to start something else, you know that it wears you out and it wears others out as well. And will wear out your bank account, or wear out your energy, or wear out your health uh, by, by doing that. And so it's, it is, it is a, a character trait that it's wise, it's much better to be someone who's able to finish, to be able to finish well. And so, man, we all, we all start. You students even, I mean, you start out the year every year, but how, how do you finish? You guys who, who start, a, start a job or start a career, 
how easy is it for you just to bail, for you just to, just to quit and go start something else rather than following through? It doesn't mean that you have to stay at a job or a position or a role or responsibility forever, but do you have a good, healthy exit plan for it? To where as you, as you go, you, you're creating value rather than causing, causing difficulty. I mean, even in a church, it's easier to focus only on your own tribe of people. Um, only those that maybe share your political views. Um, or only those that are in your same station of life. Or you just kind of get into a social group where, where, listen, you get into a place where you maneuver and get around the people where you just all leave each other alone. And you walk around just... You know, and you hang out and you do a lot of things together, but really, it's just an inch deep because you all know that there's stuff going on in your lives or in your marriages and your families and your, in your, in your finances and, you know, wherever it is, and, you're, and, and, and you just won't deal with it. It's like, oh, I finally got to that place. It's like, man, yeah, wow, life's just great and roll tide, war eagle, and it's all good, right? And it's not. It's vital that we, that we press in past the fine into what really is going on in our lives. Verse 5, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise rather than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the, the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. And uh, it's, it's important for us to know that as as if you're a wise person, you welcome somebody's rebuke. What is rebuke? Rebuke is when somebody says, eh, you're not doing it right. When somebody says, I'm concerned. When somebody says, man, you blew it. That's, that's rebuke. And it sounds, it sounds unloving. Um, and it can be unloving at times. But one of the most loving things you, you can receive and you can actually give to somebody is to be able to say, hey, warning, warning. Um, this is something that... that I see from my perspective, either help, help me out in understanding that I'm not seeing it right, or, or, man, you need to change something because I love you. You know, that's one of the best things that we can do. And so we need to hear it, and we, we live by it. And I love the, even just the, the picture of what it's like a foolishness, that it's just like the crackling of thorns under, under a pot in a fire. You know, it just, it just kind of pops, and, and then it's gone. Verse 11 says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Now, it's, it's important to note, if you don't already realize this, that, that God, uh, God gave Solomon a gift. He, he basically said, look, anything that you ask me for, I'll give it to you. You know, carte blanche, just... One thing, you know, it's like, I mean, it's, it really, this is almost seems like a genie type of thing. It's like, well, not three, but you got one wish. You know, what, what's it going to be? And he asked for wisdom, and it pleased God, because God knew that if a person was wise, I mean, that means if you understood the, the best thing to do, the healthiest thing to do, the best decisions, that that is actually the best gift that, that can, uh, can, be, can be given. It's the best place for a person person to be. And so I want to talk a little bit about the protection of wisdom and the inheritance of wisdom. Uh, verse 12, that's where it says, the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. Um, and so we're, we're told through Scripture to, we're, to go and get wisdom. Um, 
that it's, it's, it's protective over us. Uh, it's, it's like if you're, if you're going to go out uh, in the rain, um, it's going to be storming, it's smart to uh, either have an umbrella or to wear some kind of a shell. Now, I hate umbrellas. And you umbrella people, it's fine. Uh, enjoy them. Uh, the wind hates them, and they're going to take them away from you someday. But I'd just rather have a shell on and just walk, just walk through it, and, and I, I kind of in, enjoy that. But the thing is, is that if you don't, don't want to get wet, you've got to have something that protects you. And if you don't want to get drenched in this life, you've got to have the protection of wisdom. Now, you've got to go get it. Now, where is it that you're going to get it? First of all, you've got to get it from God. God's the source. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, I mean, that gives a counterpoint of, of where it is and also what people are like that, that don't want it. You know, uh, it's a fool that, that doesn't want to grow that doesn't want to learn. So it starts by saying, look, if you revere God, if you fear Him, that's actually, that's the seed of what real wisdom and the best in your life, what's going to happen uh, in your life. And so start out to get wisdom and to get that protection. You must seek Him. You must seek His voice. What we refer to the Bible is just, um, the, the Latin is the vox Dei, the voice of God. It's the voice of Jesus. He's telling a story through his Bible, through this text. And so seek him. Now verse 11 uh, talks about an inheritance of wisdom. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those that, that see the sun. Now, this doesn't mean that it just comes to you because uh, normal, normal inheritance is you don't have to work at it. You just have to be a son or a daughter or a grandson or granddaughter or just in some kind of a family where somebody just has to die. You don't have to do anything. But in this case... And knowing it's, it's the most valuable thing you can receive from those that go before you, but you must seek this inheritance. This means that you have to go and get wisdom not only from God, from His Word, but you need to get wisdom from those that are around you. Proverbs 23, verse 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Proverbs 19, 8 says, Whoever gets sense loves his own soul, he who keeps understanding will discover good. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 17, verse 16 says, Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? Sounds like me in parts of my life. Sometimes yesterday. Proverbs 4, verses 5 through 9. Listen to this. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will, she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So this means that, again, I mean, it's a, this play on words of an inheritance, but it's an inheritance that's not just going to land in your lap. It's got to be strategic. I mean, it means that if, if, you just, if you just roll on in life, then, then if anything, then you're just going to lose wisdom. You're going to lose understanding. How many of y'all, many of you've seen this, but from the time in which your, your teacher or your professor, you know, told you, told you the stuff in the days leading up to the to the exam or the pop quiz comes up and, and then it's like, where, where'd it go? You know, I know I listen. I, I, know, I know that professor 
mentioned what mitochondria is. I know it. Well, what is it? I think it's in my body. What, what, what is it? And you're just grasping at it. It's because if we don't work, if we don't work at getting knowledge and understanding and wisdom, we'll fail. It just degenerates with, within us. So, so I, I challenge you today that you'd say, I, I want for the rest of my life to be an eternal student, ever growing, that, that you would never get to a place where you arrive. Never get to a place where you're like, okay, done, I, I, I finished, I'm, I, got, I got all I need to know, you know. I, and I know, man, you're coming out of, of college, some of y'all, and, and some of y'all, you just maybe even finished up uh, master's degrees and maybe got, finally finished that, that thesis, like, I don't want to read another book. I don't want to read any more papers. Get wisdom. Get insights. Um, read books. Take advantage of the information age. I think it's tremendous that, I mean, I could throw out the word mitochondria and within 30 seconds somebody's like, I think I remember what that is, and your smartphone, and, and you've got it from Wikipedia or uh, WebMD or wherever you go yeah, to, to find the information. You've got it. Take advantage of it. Study. Because you're, I mean, you're putting energy somewhere, but if you're just escaping, you're, you're losing ground. Watch educational programs. Jump in into laboratories, you know, and within life. I mean, just even this, this week, I, I just had a, uh, this past week, I just had a great opportunity. took my third trip um, to Dolphin Island on a field trip uh, with my, my third son and uh, with Cross. And we just had a great time. I mean, here's something I learned. Uh, I learned uh, the differences between the wetlands. I learned that there's a difference between the swamp and the salt marsh and, and the bog. You guys, you guys want it? You know? The, the, uh, the salt marsh is primarily grass. Uh, the swamps are known for trees, and the bog, one thing that separates it is a bog, um, its only source of water is precipitation, all right? So, there you go. A little bit, a little bit, I'm glad you came today, all right? So, you, but get wisdom from others uh, as, you, as you learn from others, but, but the, one of the primary sources from getting wisdom doesn't need to be just data, it needs to be the people themselves. You hear me? The people themselves. What you need to do is you need to get around fruitful people. Get around people that are strong in areas that you are growing or need to grow or you're weak in. Get around those people. Or even in areas like, man, I'm very strong in this area. It's like I'm, I'm very clear that there's a calling in my life or this is where I'm headed. That in those areas, even more so, get around somebody else that they're, they're miles ahead of you. That you can see their taillights. And you follow them. Where is it that you need to grow? Get around these people. Um, and, and I want to free you, free you up from something. Um, like, I mean, I'm, I'm the pastor for, for a lot of y'all that are out there, all right? There are areas in my life that you need to come to me, um, not just to me, but areas that you do need to come to me because you see fruit in my life, all right? But there's other areas in my life that, just, that you don't need to listen to what my counsel I'll I'll give you my opinion, and, I, and I'll tell you it's the right thing, but if you look and say, well, Dave, you just really don't have a lot of fruit there, that you just can kind of put it to the side and, and, and listen or not. Don't feel that if somebody's a mentor or, or a discipler in your life that you listen to everything that they say, all right? Primarily, you listen to what, where they're congruent with the Bible and congruent with what the Word of God says, um, but look at where the fruit is and ask the questions there and go there, but... I mean, but honestly, if, if, they've, if they've had six marriages 
and, and uh, they're working on the seventh or, or, they're, or they're, they're not married at this point. You don't need to listen to their marital advice. Now, I mean, there's a lot of things that you, could, you actually can listen to them where they can be able to share some of the pains or the mistakes, and you can listen to those things. But, but where they would say, well, here's what you do, and all that, I mean, it's, it's and I'm not saying that you're not going to find any truth there, but go to the people with fruit. Be very free. Be very free. And this is very practical in discipleship. Learn about others. Um, be, be interested in others. You guys who are who are young in here, you guys are students, and um, you really want to know how to be a friend or how to make friends. Like, how, how, do, how do I do that? I mean, some of you adults, you know, you need, you, you need to tweak your social skills a little bit. You need to, to know how to, how to make friends. Can I, just, can I just throw something out at to you today? Make two decisions today. Make a decision that you will be interested in others, and you'll be interested in what they're interested in. Genuinely. That, that when you meet somebody, that they, I mean, you're at a, at, a, at a big party or somebody's over at your house or you're over at their house or you're at the lake or uh, roller skating or, you, you know, what, whatever, and, and uh, you, 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 you meet somebody new, is make the decision that you're just a person, that you're interested in them, and you want to know what, what they're interested in and ask questions. Uh, don't be a detective to where they feel like, oh, my goodness, there's a stalker here. But, but I mean, but generally say, you know what? What do you do? What are you passionate about? That's one of the best, best questions, man. What are, you, what are you passionate about? And get ready. Because most people, they're going to they're gonna unload. And it may be something you have no interest in at all. But if you're interested in them and in what they're interested in, you will have an appreciation for that thing. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You don't, have to, you don't have to know anything about that degree. You may, I mean, they may be on the opposite pole of you, of, of voting or something like that, but but listen to them and listen to the passion. You will you'll learn something, but be genuine about it. Uh, let's go to verses 7 through 10, and let's talk a little bit about four dangers to wisdom. It says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. All right? Now, you may not have seen it on first glance, but what was right there is there are four dangers to wisdom. The four obstacles are, and that he lists there, is corruption, impatience, bitterness, and nostalgia, strangely enough. Corruption. Let me, let me just give you something from Webster's 1828 edition. And uh, this is the, I think it was the original edition uh, from Daniel Webster. You, by the way, you can go online and uh, just Google it. It's a really fantastic uh, resource. Some of y'all probably even have it in hard copy. But corruption, just check this out, of uh, getting laser focused on what it really means. Corruption, according to this, to change from a sound to a putrid state. To separate the component parts of a body as by a natural process which accompanied by a fetid smell. So that's biological. Um, also to, to vitiate or deprave, to change from good to bad, or to lose purity. So basically, to corrupt means to take what is pure or right and you taint it. Now, what, what happens is that you in your life, every one of you, even you kids, there is an element of authority, responsibility, and influence that you have. 
somewhere. And it's very tempting to then take advantage of people, take advantage of their circumstances for your own advantage. And Solomon's just saying, look, if you do this, you think you're helping yourselves, but it will bite you. I'm not saying that you've got to be the governor of the state before you have all kinds of power. I mean, every one of us. There's something in which you oversee. There's some area in which you've got influence over people or over data or over money or whatever it is. Uh, the, the movement, the, uh, uh, the future of an organization, and it's very easy then to taint the purity of what, of what actually the purpose is for it. It'll bite you. Impatience, uh, the, second, the second thing. And, um, and you know, wh- one of the things, and I appreciate, so I went to the same place, Webster's, 1828. Um, and I learned something new about the word impatience, that it comes from the Latin for two words, um, um, in and uh, patior, or whatever it is, which actually means to suffer. And so what it meant was, what, uh, what impatient means an, uh, is an, une- un- an uneasiness under pain or suffering. That's what impatience is. It's like, okay, I, I just can't stand it any longer. I can't, I can't bear to suffer in waiting for what, what's next. And um, and that, that, that spoke to me big time because I just kind of think of impatience. It's like, well, it's not, I'm ready for the next thing to happen. But it's, it's really saying that I have a character flaw in me that's saying I'm not, we- I'm not ready, to, I'm not willing to walk it all out. I'm not willing for it all to do its work. And, and this, is a, it's, uh, this inability or, or the desire to not suffer through what's necessary, it can be manifested in attitude and then and your demeanor is just wrecked or it can be manifested in action, which is you actually do quit before it's done its work. James 1.4 speaks to this and says, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So saying, look, what, what God has for you in this circumstance that you're in, don't, don't quit. Don't quit. Suffer well and let God do what he wants to in it, in the middle of it. The fourth, uh, that fourth danger to wisdom, excuse me, the third, third one is bitterness. Uh, Webster says, uh, in a figurative sense, extreme enmity, grudge, hatred, or an excessive degree of passions and emotions. Uh, so, again, just to where we just get to a place where, man, just nothing, nothing's right. Uh, to where you look at a person or you look at a circumstance and uh, there's, just, there's no love. There's no love left. Um, well, the fourth thing, though, say not, why were the former days better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask this. This is nostalgia. And hmm, some of y'all aren't old enough uh, to, to know the dangers of nostalgia. Um, but a lot of us, man, we, we know that Nostalgia, it, it, seems like, it seems like a sweet treat that we get to taste, but it's actually a spider web that we fall into. It's, it's a trap. Um, and, and I promise you this, whatever it is you're nostalgic about, man, it's all, it was always, it's always better in our own minds than it really was. Um, we can get trapped by what we've experienced before, maybe in, in your athleticism or in your health uh, in the past, or or maybe friendships. It's like, 
man, I just can't find a friend like John was or, or Sarah, you know, wh- whoever it may be in, in your life. It's like nobody's, nobody's really a friend like, like that person. And, and that, again, that can bleed over, bleed over into, uh, um, into, into church to where it's like, man, I just, I, I'm just, I mean, no small group is like the small group I had 15 years ago. Or, man, the worship just sitting like it was, it, where it was three churches ago or or, uh, you know, whatever it is. The, the youth group, man, it's just different and, and, and it's just, there's nostalgia and it starts to, it starts to corrupt things, starts to taint things. Uh, I mean, even, even there's, there's widows and widowers that maybe they get, they get, they get remarried and rather than just the enjoyment of, of, of the grace and that, that God has given in a new relationship, can look back and say, wow, wow, it's just, just not the way that it used to be. And, and listen, we should appreciate the past. But God does not want you to live there. There are challenges and victories that are available for us now. But you're going to miss them if, if, you, if you live in the past. There's just two primary points that I, that I want you guys to, to leave with in, in this today. Number one is to seek wisdom. Number two, get around people with great fruit. You hear me? This is what I, what I hope all of us walk away with, and, and God do whatever He wants to do with it, but is seek wisdom, man, with all your heart. But get around people with great fruit. And ask yourself, where do you need to change? Where, what do you need to stop doing right now? Where do you need to grow? And who are the people around you that have fruit in that area? Look, look, within, look within your group, your, your journey group, your gospel community group. Um, who is it that has fruit in that area? Look, look, within, look within Sojourn Church or you guys who are from another church. Look within your church and who is it that has fruit in that area and, and call them this week. You may not even know them, but you know they've got fruit. You say, well, you know, that pastor guy, he said, uh, I'm supposed to call somebody with good fruit and I've seen this in your life and can we get together sometime? Call them this week and get together with them in the next two weeks. Seriously. And, and when you do it, man, lay out where you are. I mean, again, if it's a passion, a calling, a strength, or if it's an area of, just, of weakness in your life, whatever it is. I mean, man, hit all the areas. Go to people that have fruit in, in those areas. Lay out where you are. Be very honest. Don't hedge. I mean, lay it all out there and ask a ton of questions. But, but listen, for both of these things, the primary person that you need to go to in seeking wisdom and getting around with great fruit is who? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, He's the hero. He's the hero of the people with fruit because they got a bunch of bad fruit, you know, in some of their limbs as well. The primary source for wisdom is the Bible, and so, man, dig into the Bible. I mean, seriously, guys, I mean, this is something that, and, you know, preachers have talked about since I was a kid, Jesus, Bible, and prayer. It's good stuff. Get in the Bible. Get in the Bible. And and spend some time on your knees, just being honest before God, saying, all right, God, here's where I am. And show me. And ask Him. Ask Him who you're supposed to call, who you're supposed to get together with. I'd love to hear. I'd love to get some emails from some of y'all this week to say, hey, Dave, I I, I called this person, or I sent a text, or I sent an, an email to this person, and I'm just looking forward to see what, what God does in this life. And, 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 I mean, be vigilant. I mean, just say, man, I'm not going to let you go till we, get, till we get together. 
Um, you guys who are, if there's any of you in here that you've, you're an unbeliever, you've never fully surrendered to Christ, Jesus is the storehouse of wisdom. He's the one that you need to go to. Uh, he's the one that's going to provide peace for your life, meaning for your life. And I invite you today, I mean right now, that you would come to Christ. And uh, for some of y'all, I mean, uh, the Christians in a minute, and if, even if you're, you're not a, a part of this church, if you're a Christian, we invite you to join us in communion that we take in just a, a few moments. Um, uh, practically speaking, just come and, and uh, go, on the, go on the outside, but grab, uh, just grab the bread and dip it either in the juice or the wine as you choose and uh, challenge you to go and maybe with a group of people to just pray uh, together. But uh, um, let's challenge you, even if, if you're an unbelieving friend, that today, man, you just, it's, it's not hard. You don't have to work at it. You just have to let go. Just, just I surrender, Jesus. I, you're God. I'm not. Take my life. And he's the one that's guiding you anyway. So just surrender. And today could be the day in which you literally walk the aisle to to take communion today, and that is a profession of faith because it's like, all right, I've surrendered to Jesus, and, and he's mine, and I'm his. And, and for all of you guys, as we do this, this is a profession of faith that, that we make in taking communion. It's like, Jesus saved me. Jesus died on the cross. He, he rose again. God, uh, help us, help us, Lord, to, uh, 